Let's get to it, shall we? If you have uh, notes, let's get going here. We've got work to do today. I've got to get you out here in about 35 minutes or so. I, I want you to um, join me in, in declaring out loud that you are committed to one conviction. You believe your life can be better. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And to make your life better, there are certain things you have to do. They bring the lights up so everybody can see. The only way that your life is going to be better, the only way that you're going to be better is that you didn't make a decision. The decision is that you by yourself, you all by yourself, have to decide that you want to cut a new path. Can you say it with me, please? Say cutting, cutting. A, new a new path. Come on, say it again. Say cutting, cutting. A, new a new path. That's a decision you make. That's not a decision that I make for you. That's not a decision this church can make for you. You decide that you want to cut a new path for your life. A family decides. We're tired of being broke. We're tired of being broke. We're tired of being angry. We're tired of being frustrated. We want a different life. You look in the mirror and you say, you know what? This is getting out of control. And I, I just can't let this happen to me without a fight. I have to decide for me. As a pastor, I just made certain decisions. I'm just not, I'm not studying on Saturday night for a sermon. I'm sorry. I'm going to go on a date Saturday night with my girl. That's, and I play with my kids. I should do on Saturday. I refused years ago. I'm tired of that. Just get, you know, you ever just get tired of things? That's how you change things. You just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Tired of going before the judge. Just tired. Aren't you tired of that yet? Your Honor, I know it's me again. <laughs> I know I told you I wasn't coming back here. What did you do? You stole what? What did you steal? What did you steal? What did you steal this time? You, you know, you got this incremental thing you're doing. I told you the story about how one guy told me it was hilarious. He said, Pastor Rick, I'm better. I don't steal big things anymore. I only steal Snickers and little things like that. <laughs> you steal Snickers, okay. Little candies. That's not my decision. It's your decision. I only facilitate a conversation. But wherever you, whether you're home or watching from wherever on demand, wherever you're at, you have to decide what you want for your life. And here's one of the hard things about succeeding, watching people fail. When you succeed and your brothers don't or your cousins or people around you don't, sometimes in engaging them is painful because if you're not careful, you will be frustrated that you can't get them to change. And you spend a lot of emotion and energy in that, and sometimes you can't. Police officers have to learn to say, I'm sorry. This is a bad decision you made. I don't control the outcome of this, but you do have the right to remain silent. If you give up that right, how do you know, Pastor Rick? I watch TV. <laughs> I've seen it on TV <laughs> a few times. So my point is you can't own it. You have to decide, like this guy in this graphic, cutting a new path, building a better vision. You decide to look out over your life and dream of a new dream. This year, we've been showing you how to cut a new path. The first thing I told you you had to do is build a better what? You. And we spent a couple of months talking about that. The second thing you have to do is build a better vision. Next week, we're going to change gears again. A little bit earlier than I planned, but we're going to change gears again and talk about building a better foundation. So repeat them with me, please. So here's the answer to the question. How do, you build, how do you cut a new path? Number one, you do what? Build a better you. you. Number two, you build a better 
And then number three, you build a better what? Foundation. I'm going to take you to the book of Daniel next week. And I'm going to show you how they built a better foundation. Now, it's from a different angle, a different approach you'll see next week. But if you want to get ahead, read Daniel chapter 1, and you can be with me in the study. But I want to show you through the book of Daniel how you build foundations and how four men made a decision that affected their life. But it wasn't just the four men. There's a fifth guy I'm going to talk about. And how the foundations they built changed everything in their lives. But that's next week. Look with me, please, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 for today as we talk about how to build a better vision. Building a better vision is really about three things. Say location. 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 That's what they say in, in, in real estate. That if you want to make sure you get a building, you want to make sure you get one in the right location. Because location, location, location is really the key. I believe that's true. Where you're located affects everything. But not just from a real estate standpoint, in your mind. Where's your mind at? How do you see things? Through what lens do you see relationships, marriage, life? The lens through which you see it affects everything. Where's your mind located? And a lot of times you don't know where people are until you get to know them. Marriage is a great revealer of your location. You thought, you thought they were really calm and cool, but when you get married to them, you find out, oh, no, 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 no. They don't have the patience you thought they had. You start, you start finding out that, that you were a little bit off in your viewpoint. You thought they were here, but they were really over there. Everybody say location, location, location. Peter, in a conversation, as he closes out his book, he makes a statement that helps you understand God's location has, has, a, has a different um, viewpoint than your location does on earth. Here's what he says, 2 Peter 3 and 8 in your notes. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day, can you say it with me, please, one day? is as a what? thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. Now here's Peter's comment. He says, guys, you live by a 24-hour clock. You're limited to this viewpoint. And I've shared this with you before. You're limited to this 24-hour day. And within that 24 hours, you have to sleep, work, and so on, and then a next day, the next day, and so on. And every day you get older, you're under, you're under the clock. From God's perspective, his clock's a bit different. And this is not meant to be exact, but just to make the point. He said, if you were to compare the two, one of your days is like a thousand years. One day is as a thousand years in heaven. And a thousand years is as a day. He switches it back and forth. In other words, God measures time differently than you. So just to use Peter's analogy, knowing that it's not exact, okay, but just to make the point, he's trying to say God's clock is different than your clock. If you use a 1,000 years as a measurement, it would mean that if you took a 1,000 and divided into, you know, 24 and divided into a 1,000, you come up with rounded up, rounded up about 42 years. So an hour here, an hour in heaven, rather, is 42 years here. So if you're 42 years old, in heaven's time, you're about an hour old. Tell your neighbor, say, you're still young. Come on, Tom, say, you're still young. <laughs> I mean, if you were to look at the measurements, just, just using Peter's example. The point is, heaven doesn't see time the way you do. So if you're 80 years old, you're 
two hours old. They're about. It makes you look at time differently. It makes you say, wow. So that's why God's not that worried because he says, you know, to be honest with you, this is not going to take me long. Jesus lived about 33 and a half years. So if you did the math that way, you say, oh, it took him a little less than 30 minutes. They're about to save the world. From his perspective, this is not long. To you, it's long because of the way you measure time. So God's perspective, his location affects the way he sees things. And so does your location being here. Now, think about it this way. If God sees things differently, it would would behoove you to learn how he sees things. So let me, in my heart, switch locations for a moment and see it from a heavenly perspective. That way, everything looks different. When I lose a loved one, it looks different. When my loved one goes to heaven, it looks different. From their perspective, I'll see you in a few minutes. They're not under time like we are. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. This, is, this helped me a little bit. My location has affected my viewpoint. I grieve because of my location. I'm overwhelmed because of my location. Change my location, you change how I feel. So I walk by faith, not by sight. So I said, well, Lord, tell you what. From this time clock, I'm awfully sad. But I'm going to slide over here to your time clock and trust you. Believing that this is going to be over soon and that this is going to be okay and that you have everything worked out. Can I get an amen to that? Now, to prove this point, Jesus says something in John chapter 1, verse 51. It was fascinating to me to kind of push this point. He said to him, surely I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So here's what what Jesus said you would see once he came. He told the disciples, here's what you're going to see. Two things. Number one, heaven open. Can you say heaven open? Watch this now say, angels Angels. ascending Ascending. and descending. descending. Now, here's what he's saying. Gentlemen, now that I'm here, you're going to see heaven. You're going to see heaven literally open over you. And you're not going to just see heaven. Something spiritual is going to happen. Angels are descending and ascending. In other words, heaven's interacting with the world. God's God's an interactive God. God's a God who's concerned about you. Now, here's the danger of this. Ready? If you're in, in some environments, they talk to about angels and stuff. You start saying, oh, boy, it's getting weird. And you become fearful. And if you're not careful, you'll assume that you're kind of on your own. But that's not true. Jesus said, no, heaven's open over your life. And there's nothing weird about this. He says, I promise you, heaven, angels are ascending and descending. There's, heaven's engaged in your life. Heaven wants to be engaged in your life. You're not fighting alone. You're not, fighting against, you're not fighting against flesh and blood, Paul said, but against principalities and powers and rulers in the darkness. There is a spiritual impact. You know, you look around, there's no way in the world you can jack up the world this much with just people. You couldn't jack up your family like this with just you, you and the cousins. No, this is, there's something happening spiritually. You look in the eyes of some folks, you say, so what, what is that, a demon or what is that? What, is, what made you think that's okay? And there are times in your life when God protects you, things happen for you, and you say, it must have been an angel or something. And there are three verses I want to read to you that show you this. There are three verses that prove the point. And I just want to show you how, how heaven's engaged in your life. There are three verses that describe the role of angels specifically in our lives. And here's what he said, Psalm 91, which was the favorite verse of the founder of this church, Ernestine Dilworth. 
who found this church. Man, she loved this verse. She quoted it all the time. For he shall, verse 11, Psalm 91, he shall give his angels charge over you to do what? Keep you in all your ways. You felt that presence in your life? In their hands they shall bear you up, at least you dash your foot against the stone. They're going to protect you. Now, what's really amazing, the enemy, the devil, used this in, in Matthew 4 against Jesus when he was in the wilderness, trying to get him to become an extremist. Jump off the cliff and prove you're okay. And Jesus said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not tempting God. I'm not going to do something foolish to see if it works. But I want you to see the bigger message is God gave his angels charge over you. That there is a, there's a, there's a protection that he has in place for you. Secondly, in, in, in Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord, I love this term, say encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, if you're a camper like me, I get that. I grew up going camping. I, I love camping. My wife is not a camper person. I've tried to save her, but I've not succeeded yet. She told my kids, there are animals out there. They'll get you. <laughs> but we used to go camping, man. Some of you army people call that the field. But we used to go camping, and it was amazing. It was amazing to go camping. And I used to love it. I used to go out there, man, and, and fish and stuff. It was really nice. But one day my wife's going to go with me in Jesus' name. But, but I love the fact that the Bible says, and she'll go. She just wants a hilton next door. But, 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 but. <laughs> Camp outside and go to the hill. Anyway, <laughs> we laugh about this all the time. Anyway, but the angels, the angels of the Lord encamp around us. I love this idea that they, they camp around. Haven't you seen this amazing protection, provision, and seasons when you thought you couldn't make it? Third, third verse, I love this. In Exodus 23 and 20, Here's what he told Israel. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in all your ways and to bring you into the place which I have prepared for you. That, my friend, is what God says he's put in place for all of us. Now, I, I really think this is important because if we're going to do great things in the world and impact lives, we can't be fearful. We have to believe that heaven's open over our lives and that there's protection for us. That God's going to be with us. That we don't have to be a church that's timid. You don't have to be timid in your life. I believe that God's with me. Can you say that with me, please? Come on, say, God, God is, with is with me. Come on, say, God's angels, God's angels are, with me. are with me. God's with you. God's with you. Look at your life. Look at what you've made it through so far. Amen. Something was present to help you. Can I get an amen, church, if you're here? Come on, give God a big hand. Something was there to help you. But there are five things that I think can make it hard for you to see that heaven's open in your life. Five things that can happen to you that can make it hard. Number one, you ready? Painful losses. Some losses you go through and, you know, you okay. But then there are other losses that just reshape everything for you emotionally. You really have to gather yourself to just go forward because of the loss, a friend, a family member, someone close to you. A mate. Sometimes marriage issues can make it hard for you to think heaven is open. You went, you know, and said all these vows before God, but you just can't imagine that you're divorced. You, you, you know, you look up, God, what happened? What happened? Sometimes tension with the children. You know, you don't get that. You know, I fed these people. I didn't kill them or nothing. I tried to help them. 
you know, you feel like I did my best and I didn't hurt you. Why? Why am I? Why don't you call me? What is this tension that I am living with day after day? Then emotional warfare. Man, that stuff is internal, that depression, loneliness. Dealing with that is, is hard sometimes. And then financial problems. Money. Money, 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 money. Money. I ain't going to sing it. Good God. You know, as a pastor, you're just afraid to talk about it because people start saying, well, there you go, talking about money again. That's the broke person talking. I ignore those people because you, you, you can't do anything for anybody. All you can do is complain and talk. You can't help anybody. You need money to make it. Come on, say amen, right? Amen. Come on, amen. You need some money. You need some money. You can't. Listen, let, let me help you. Our church can talk and talk and talk, but if you don't have resources, you don't have staff, you don't have facilities, you don't have money, you, have, you can't. You can just talk. All you can do is talk and complain. That's not God's will. We have to decide what we want to be. And financial issues can be a problem for you. It can be, you, know, you, you're, you, you know, when people talk to you about money and you don't have any, you always get offended. <laughs> I can tell you don't have any because you always get, you always talk about money because you're broke. That's why you, you're mad because you're broke. If you had some money, if you had some resources to ask you to help with a cause, you wouldn't be that bothered by it. Just, oh, man, let me jump in. I went by the other day, I was minding my own business. I was going to get me some food and and people selling some cookies, and 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 this girl's got cookies, and they and they saw me. And they said, "Oh God, thank God!" They said, "Oh yes, yes, I know we gonna sell some cookies now." <laughs> I said, "Really, you do? Yeah, Pastor Rick, we got some cookie girls. We gonna sell some cookies right now." <laughs> I laughed. I said, "Okay, all right, all right, all right. What's the deal?" So I said, "All right." So his, so what I did was I gave him. Probably too much. But I, I did. And then I told him, keep the money and sell the cookies again. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want to be able to help without praying for God's mercy and grace. I don't want to have to pray, God, help me now. I gave him $20. Jesus, I need you to work a miracle. I need gas. I don't want to be in that bondage. I want to be able to soar with joy. I want to be able to give with happiness. Come on, say amen, church. Are you hearing me? I want to be able to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, nothing like it. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Praise God. It's my desire. That's all. I want to be a vessel in the hand of God. That's what I want to be. So here you go. Five important answers to the five Blinding questions I just talked about. Ready? Let's talk about losing somebody. How do I manage losing someone I love? What do I do? Change your perspective. See loss from heaven's perspective. Days is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. You stay down here and you start looking at it from this 24-hour perspective, you're going to be frustrated. What am I going to do without her? What am I going to do without him? here's, Here's what I want you to do. That's right. That's true, too. That's right. It's all good, girl. My phone did the same thing. Amen. Part of, the, part, of, part of what happens, part of what happens to you is if you're not careful, the loss changes you. Now, here's, here's the deal. I raised my kids to love me. I raised my kids to value me. But I did not raise my kids to die when I die. 
Christina knows, try that. I'm going to reach out in heaven and slap them in Jesus' name. Stop it. Did not work hard. I can't literally do that, but I wish I could. I ask God for special permission, Lord, to go slap her. Wake her up. I did not sacrifice for you as a church to die when I die. You get another pastor, and he probably won't preach as good, but you get another pastor. <laughs> No, it's not. No, I rebuked that. I'm just teasing. I had to throw something in there, you know. But, you know, you love him. You love her. You follow them. You let the person be anointed. Let them do what they do. You don't, you don't, you don't have my picture up. Put a, you can put a picture up now. You know, remember, brother, for a few minutes. But you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to live. It's, it's an embarrassment to me. I did a bad job. If I die, you die. If I die and you die, what does that say? You can't function. You can't live. Every birthday, every holiday, every Christmas, you falling out and crying and falling on the floor. Stop all that. For me. You can do it for whoever you want to do it for. I'm just talking about for me. Don't do that for me. Because I'm not going to even do it. My home going, you're not going to have a body at my home going. You better look at me now. Take a picture. <laughs> now, you do what you want to do. I'm having a moral service. I told him, don't have it because you won't do what I told you to do. I told you to sit me up in the casket and let me smile. Y'all ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I asked you nicely. All the church said no. I was going to sit up so y'all see me coming. Up. Hey, <laughs> Pastor Ray, I might want to point to you. Yeah. <laughs> you say, okay, you see, uh, All right, let's vote again. All, all in favor of not doing that, say aye. aye. See, that's it. I told you that's why I'm not coming. I'm going to have a picture of me. That's it. You want to do what I want? Then let's get a picture. That's it. <laughs> Man, losing people is hard, but you got to change your perspective or what's this going to lead to? I mean, I'm not saying every time you have a birthday, you can't remember them. I'm not saying you can't honor them. I'm not saying that. You can. But there's the one thing to honor a person. is nothing to get in the casket with them. Secondly, how do you fix your marriage that's falling apart if you've got marriage issues? Be honest about what you control. You don't control everything. I don't control what our marriage becomes alone. Diane is involved in that decision. I have a role I play. She has a role she plays. So the question is, I need to be honest about what I'm contributing. Is she getting what we've talked about? When we got married, the deal was, okay, so is this a deal she can enjoy and vice versa? And and then a lot of people, if they're really honest, you know, there's reasons why your marriage has the challenges you have because of the way you think and live. Sometimes you're in people who know you, and I love this. I love to let people who know people talk to me. Because sometimes I tell couples, what would your mama say? You're married. Why would they say you're in trouble? Oh, because she don't ever cook. That's why she don't cook. She got a bad attitude. She always right. She know everything. She lazy. See, that's what mama would say. So sometimes I say, tell me what your mother would say. I told her not to marry me in the first place. <laughs> Lust was all they had, and that's all they got now, and that's dried up. Lust is gone. See, families sometimes know the real deal. You know, they, they, they take it to the finish line. They say, oh, she lying, she lying. She's saved, sanctified, but she lies whenever she wants to, or he lies. He's lazy. That's why he's in trouble. He's lazy. He's lazy. Borrow your money, never pay it back. Go look at the house. It's a trash, a trash heap, stuff everywhere. That's how they think and live. They come over here and junk up my house. Tell them, go home to your house. Take your junk with you. 
They got bad kids. That's why they kids. They raised them to be bad. They let them fight. They let them do stuff. Let them, they, they like to watch them like gladiators. And now they fighting people in the street. Now they fighting the police because they didn't. Cause they raised them like that. I told them you better be, stop those children. They didn't listen to me. Now they wonder why kids like that. You don't know. This is why some people don't allow anybody to get close to them. Because when people get close to you, they, they see through everything. And then when you're a Christian in your church, you, you cover all that over with a bunch of Christian talk. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, all that stuff. And, and the reality is you don't need just for a minute, put all that aside. All that thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, glory to God. Put it on the side for just a minute. I want to know why you always late. I want to know why your money is broke. I want to know why you're financially like you are. Why? Why, is you, why is every marriage you get in, every relationship, you broke up with everybody so far. Every relationship you're in, you're in the same place. I need somebody to love me. Really? Who's going to love you like that with that attitude? <laughs> I have a little thing I do. It's probably terrible. I have a little thing. I put, I'm, I'm big on maintenance, people. I, my mom did maintenance, you know, so I just I, I tip too much. I'm, just, I'm out of control. I know it. And so I was going through the airport today. So I was late. I said, you working hard? Now, normally they say, yeah, I give them something. She said, never. I said, okay, you're never going to get a dime either. <laughs> never. I said, I never. <laughs> I said, well, you just missed a blessing. But you'll never self. That's why you can't get promoted, girl. Brother, you can't, you can't, God can't bless you with this mindset. Can I get an Amen. amen. Change your perspective, be honest about what you control, and then if you ask the question, why am I not married for single people? You ready? Uh, it's not your season. That's it. You want another message? That's it. <laughs> no more. And, and, I, and I think the problem is you, if, you, if you think marriage is going to solve your problems, that, that's a wrong assumption. I need to be happy for me. Don't wait for somebody to buy your house, buy your own house. Don't wait for some man to save you, save yourself. Don't wait for somebody to save your children, save your children. Well, I'm a single parent, and so what? I was raised by one. It turned out okay. I think you can do it. You know, my mama used to have a saying, I can do bad by myself. That was her saying. She said, I'm not marrying somebody just because I need a man. Chasing after somebody, and then you get them, you can't stand them. What in the world is that all about? <laughs> Lift your hand up high. Come on, say, love, love. Yourself. yourself. Love your God. Love, your God. love, yourself. love yourself. And love your, love your life. Come on, amen. Give God a hand clap. Love your life. Love your life. Why are my children out of control? Well, that's the question. Ask your children. What's their side? Okay. Um, these are just my little observations. You don't give them any money because you don't believe in allowances. I respect that. I disagree with that premise. And then when they get big in college, you wonder why they can't manage money. If you never had anything to manage, how do you know how to manage? Well, how much can you give them? Nobody gave me nothing. Okay, how'd you turn out? <laughs> how'd you turn out? How easy was it for you? 
They run around here just taking the money from folks and, and, and trying to get a dollar and 50 cent when you can help. And they're on these little jobs making no money and you're not stepping in to help. What, what's that about? I, don't, I understand you got to teach responsibility. I get that. I get that. I just believe you have to, you, you're parenting. Your job is to train and teach. Give them the tools they need. I can't paint without a paintbrush. I can't manage money with no money. I must be engaged. My mom didn't do everything right, but she, she and, and I need to write, I'm going to write a book on it too. I want to talk about what I learned from being the child of a single parent. You do your best, but one thing she did do right, which I love, is she, was, she, she engaged me every week. Not every, not every, every week we had a day. Went to the movies, hung out. It was, we look, I look for, went shopping. Probably wasn't a good thing to take me to, but went shopping. <laughs> Learned how to shop. Still like it today. I do. I get, I get a buzz. I enjoy going shopping. I mean, I buy nothing. I just look around. Hey, this is feeling good. Dopamine flying. There you go. Dopamine. <laughs> you know, but I, and I, I think there's something about you having a place you meet with your kids other than correction. If 10 of your engagement, out of 10 times they engage you, nine are corrected. Did you clean your room up? That's one. Did you do your homework? Did you, did you, did you, did you, did you? By the time you get to number nine, they're tired of you. <laughs> and you've been doing this all their life, and then you beat them within an inch of their life. You threaten them, I key, I hurt you. That sounds real spiritual, praise God. You know what I mean? You, then you say, go to church with me. Why? To learn how to kill people? <laughs> That's what you said you're going to do to me. Why should I go to church? <laughs> I'm going to be dead. Why? <laughs> That's according to you. If I do that again, you're going to kill me. What is this? I must be talking to somebody. Come on, say it, man. You hear me? <laughs> and then when they get older, they don't want to come visit you. You know why? Because you fuss at them. Why aren't you here? Well, because that's right there. That's why. You, you yell when I do call. And when you're coming back again, I just left. I haven't left yet. I haven't left. Let me leave the building. You do a lot of things that you're sincere, but you're parenting. This is, this is, this is why my vision changed. I'm going to ask, we're going to do some churchy stuff, building, but my vision changes. I'm spending millions of dollars to do what? Parents, I need to teach parents how to parent. I need to go help these seventh, eighth graders. I need to find a way to help these kids. Something, something's got to change. Our, our vision has to reach beyond just acting like we care. Our children are out of control. That's your son running from the police. That's your son. That's your son they tackle. That's your son. That's your daughter the other night. That's your daughter they had to hunt down. Bless the parents. I'm not talking about anybody. I'm making, making plenty. That's your family, man. I, I say it with love. I pray for I pray for them. You know, I prayed for them. Lord, help those sisters in trouble today. I prayed for them. I prayed they'd be captured safely, and they were. Thank you. I prayed. Those are our children. And if you're not careful, you're going to ignore and your kids are going to be in the same boat. You need to go meet with them. Talk to them. i got to end this. Why do I have financial problems? Because <laughs> I keep doing the same things. Over and over and over again. You don't save. You get paid, you don't save $5. You don't do anything. At what point will you change? At what point will you build a better foundation? That's why I'm changing gears next week. 
We've got to get to that part where we talk about, okay, what do we do now? How do I rebuild this family? How do I tear down the old and build the new? How do I refocus my life and stop running from relationship to relationship trying to find somebody? How do I, how do I retool my, my soul so that I'm not in the same place of anger and frustration? How many churches have you been in? How many Christian programs have you watched? How many sermons have you heard? It's time to do something. What bothers me about Christians is you talk a lot. You prophesy a lot. But you don't do anything. I did a sermon the other day for home going yesterday, as a matter of fact. And uh, this, thing, this thing touched me. It's, it was called The Last Chapter of Your Life. And I said, imagine if you were divided and your life was divided into chapters by decades. So when you were 10 years old, that's chapter 1. 20 years old, chapter 2, and so on. I asked them yesterday, I said, what chapter are you in in your life? The average person has about 80 years. That's high, but I'm going to make it eight for this conversation. Eight chapters, 10 each. Let's make it nine for fun, okay? Nine chapters in your life. What chapter are you in? I'm 60. I'm in chapter 6. I'm now writing the sixth chapter of my life, page by page, choice by choice, decision by decision, day by day. What do these pages say? What do these pages say? Then I close with this thought. I said to them, each chapter of your book, when you get to the end of it, what would you call the book? Let's pretend you were closing the book. Your life's over. Would your book be called Almost Right with God? Not quite, but almost. Would it be called Just About, just about to Do Right? Not there. Just about. How about this one? Mad All the Way to the Grave. <laughs> That's the name of your book, man. Read your life. That's what it says. Mad all the way to the grave. I hate them. Got a list of people you hate. That's the name of your book. Or right, here's one. I finally see what matters, and I'm out of time. All that was foolishness. Remember high school? Trying to be cool. Doesn't matter now, does it? Used to be, we used to bling in the hallway. Bang, bam, knock them all out. Coming in. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> everybody there, you got it going on. You know what I'm saying? Into your book, that's just a page and a season. Here's some titles I'd like for my book to say. I finished my course. I kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I like that book. Here's one. I had fun, <laughs> but it's time to go now. Gladys Knight. <laughs> time to go. I mean, I like to be, I mean, really, honest to God, if I knew I was leaving, I'd have a party. You know, I'm serious. I'd have a slam down. Da da I got to be dancing now. We got to dance a little bit. We got to move. You know, we got to go. We got to, I'm leaving, y'all. Watch out. Get my salsa dancing back at you. Know, I took a listen. Y'all know that, right? right? 
I love it. It, it, it. it liberates my soul in ways that's profoundly powerful. But here's the last title I would like. Ready? On my gravestone, ready? Close my book. No regrets. No looking back. Small print. See in a few minutes. Come on, amen. That's what I want to say. Man. Wow. We got a lot to talk about, a lot to do. Are you excited? Come on, give God a big hand clap. Come on, we got a lot to talk about, people. Father, we thank you for this gathering today. We leave with faith and confidence, believing that these last 30, 30 minutes or so have been helpful and uplifting. That in this discussion, we be, we, we're, we're thinking and seeing more clearly. And we're about ready to lay some better foundations for our lives, for our careers, our future, for our children, for our home, for our church, for our community. We're going to be community builders, foundation builders, and that's hard work. We do it piece by piece, day by day, decision by decision. We're going to give, we're going to pray, we're going to fight, we're going to serve, we're going to make a difference. We're not just going to talk. So, God, we give you the praise. With every head bowed, every eye closed. It starts with you relating to God properly. Maybe some of you would say, Pastor, you know, I just want you to pray for me. Because I know it all starts with me aligning my spiritual life. I want to pray for you in your seats. You don't come up here at all. Just simply wear And if you're home watching, same thing. I want you to just simply say, if you're saying, Pastor, pray for me because I know it starts with me walking with God. And I haven't been walking with God, but I want to start today. I want to, I want to turn the page, start a new chapter in my life. And I want him to be the Lord of my life. If that's your desire, I want me to pray for you. Where you're sitting, raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I see you. I see anybody else. I see two. I see more. Three. I see four. Five. I see more hands. Thank you. Father, I lift up those whose hands are lifted and those whose hearts are lifted, both here and at home or wherever they're watching. May this be the time that they meet God in a special way. Some have raised their hearts, not their hands, and I pray that you would touch them today. Can we all lift our hands together as a symbol of surrender? We surrender our lives to you today. We ask you to be the Lord of our life, to touch us in a way so that what we've heard today can be applied. We need to go and make a difference in the world. And not just be people who gather to hear a sermon, but people who gather to learn how to make a difference that really makes a difference. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Are you glad you came today? Amen. I'm glad you came.